0: Welcome into episode 16 of Fatal to Prejudice. I just want to say real quick, a little note. If you've been here supporting the podcast for a while, I appreciate you. Thank you. Um, As always, please like, subscribe, download the episodes. Really helps the support. Um, Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Now I have Pedro here Mm -hmm. for episode 16. Um, This is a cool one. Uh, in my eyes so far we uh we've been talking chatting uh, uh quite a bit before sitting down for this um we we're just talking we actually just met was it november yeah mm-hmm. november uh of 2021 so we haven't known each other for very long and i really appreciate uh you coming out here and uh giving this a shot so welcome in
1: thank you thank you for having me i'm looking forward to this I'm glad we got it scheduled uh, even though it took me a couple of weeks to get out here but uh, <laughs> I appreciate it and uh really excited so let's get into it
0: yeah let's uh let's go into it yeah it's uh it's fun or I think it's kind of funny uh trying to work around like everyone's schedule yeah um, trying to do this this is like you know I'm doing this like walking blind uh scheduling everything and men are people busy like mm-hmm. even with covid it's or, yeah, it's crazy. Um, yeah, thanks so much for taking the time and uh, finally coming in here and uh, doing this. So uh, you wanna you wanna get into it? Sure. Um, cool.
1: Um. So about me. Uh, my name is Pedro. If you're wondering, yeah, that's uh, I come from uh, Puerto Rico. I was born and raised in San Juan, Puerto Rico, for twenty-two years prior to moving to Ohio. In 2012, um, and everybody first question everybody asks, why are you in Ohio? I was like, well, it's called a job. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm an electrical engineer by trade. In 2007, uh, AEP, which is a local utility here in Columbus, uh, headquartered in Columbus, uh, did a career for uh, career fair then in in my school, which is on the western side of the island, and. I was, what, 19 at the time, maybe. I was dressed up, already in the career fair, walking around with my resume. I was a uh, sophomore back then, and they said, you know, one of my closest friends back then said, hey, they're looking for, they call it co-ops, but it's basically like an internship. They're looking for electrical engineer interns, uh, first and second year. Uh, Most of the companies look for third year plus um, they just want somebody who's closer to graduation. Uh, but AP in particular was looking for younger folks because they wanted to do shorter or longer rotations. And I interviewed with a few companies, and uh, back then both me and my roommate were both electrical engineers. Uh, we got an offer from AP to come do an internship in 2008, and that late that summer we were here, and that's it. You know, three years later I graduated college. I uh, got multiple offers uh, from various US-based utilities um, and just went with the one that I've worked over the last couple of years, and here I am here I am at, here I am, you know. 11 years into my career, feels like it's kind of flown by, but been here now 10, 11 years here in Columbus, so.
0: Wow. Um, so you left Puerto Rico to go to come to college up here? No, no, no. I wasn't. Okay. Uh,
1: the Puerto Rico is the University of Puerto Rico. There's various campuses throughout the island. Uh, the campus is specialized in somewhat in different uh, subjects. So the campus, I'll say the name is Maya West. It's on the west side of the island. It's known for their engineering schools, able to credit it. And uh, it's known for their, engi- they pro- produce some of the best electrical engineers uh, in the area. Um, very competitive program. Um and you know, we've got engineers all over the world from from that school, including NASA, Google, Boeing, all the big companies out here. Wow. Uh so that career fair is big. Every time they go there, uh at least uh if I counted last time it was two hundred and fifty companies uh, recruiting down there. Uh A P being one of them, some of the other local ones, uh Nationwide was down there. Uh Procter & Gamble was down there. Some of the big uh, Fortune 500 companies just go down there recruiting. So the engineering program is pretty competitive. Um, and they recruit a lot out here. And, yeah, that's kind of how it all came together. So
0: That's amazing. Yeah. So it it's pretty – I guess it seems a pretty prestigious type of school then.
1: Uh, you could say that. Um, it's just the, the education has always been top-notch. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not going to say it's MIT or – you know Harvard or something like that, or Ivy League school. Uh, it's not, but it's you know it's affordable. It's an affordable uh, school, and you know if you have that foundation of education that produces engineers that have been to space, I think you can compete with just about any school in the planet, right? So yeah,
0: it sounds uh, like it's like next level, not quite Ivy League, but like at the the OSU, the yeah. UCLA, the. Yeah. Alabama, the U of M, like all of those big schools with all their, you know.
1: Yeah. And since we're born and raised U.S. citizens, um, since the minute we're born, we're U.S. citizens and you've got an engineering program, it makes it easy to kind of bring people over. Uh, yeah. You don't have to worry about visas or anything like that. Um, you know, and when you got a competitive program, uh, it's, I'm not going to say it's the best program in the world, but, uh, Enough to compete with just about any other one any other engineering student in the world. I think it's it's a good good thing to say So
0: that's amazing. I actually never knew that that was like such a prestigious place down in Puerto Rico
1: Yeah, so the two campuses the one in my west which is the west side and the one in the east side is for the medical school Are the two more competitive programs? Um, and they get you know some of the students that graduate from their bachelor's degree uh, in, my, in the engineering school go, end up going to all these Ivy League schools for masters. I mean, you have to get the grades just like anybody else. Right. Uh, and same thing with the doctors, you know, you have to get the MCAT and you have to pass within a certain numbers to get matched into those, some of the better programs. But um, it's just the, the, the education seems to always be up to par with everything else. So when you've got a ABET accreditation, which is what you do for these science schools, um that's usually what what's important so
0: what's the i guess like what's the price tag is it as expensive as college over here in the states
1: no actually um uh, hopefully it doesn't doesn't get me people groaning uh but <laughs> when i started school the credit hour was like 40 something bucks a credit hour and now obviously it's skyrocketed um yeah it's now in the 300s or 400s but it's still nowhere near what you would pay in a local state school like Ohio state. Yeah. Um, uh, part of it's also why the Island is struggling so much financially, um, they need to progress financially as they should. Now you could make the argument that colleges out here are a little greedy and they're charging kids for an insane amount of money. Uh, right. So I think there's a balance there. Um, so yeah, it's th- it was a lot cheaper back then when I went to school. It's a lot more expensive now, but um, but yeah, I mean you could potentially work your way through college back then when I went to school um, when I started school. Not you can't really do it anymore, but you right, uh, but you could do that. So
0: that's so interesting. I, I mean, still today it sounds cheaper than college over here in the states.
1: Yeah, uh, obviously when you're. Puerto Rico, uh, Spanish is the main language. Mm-hmm. Um, all the textbooks and everything was taught in English, but everything around it is in Spanish. So um, it's not like you, you can just, hey, uh, I mean, you can, but it, you better <laughs> try to figure out the language a little bit. Um, everything's taught in English, uh, for, particularly for these science programs, engineering, math, uh, physics, um, pre med, all these are, all the textbooks are in English. And they get the same exams that you would get. This the U.S. students would get. So uh, they need to teach them in English because the exam that you're going to take to pass, you have to pass it in that same language. So right. Um, but yeah, it's it's particularly cheaper. Uh, but on top of that, um, I went on a scholarship for uh, track and field. I did discus and shot put. Uh, that was kind of like a hobby i wasn't really invested into it my my focus was my studies uh, and then i got into weightlifting uh, like olympic style weightlifting uh, i took that as a hobby it's still a hobby of mine today um i use it i you know i'm into crossfit and all that and i coach at new albany uh some of that and i got the opportunity to translate that hobby into a shot at representing puerto rico in a couple international stages i've been oh really yeah i've been in pan-american games um i was on the short list for the 2020 olympics but being 30 going on 34 now it's not easy to compete with 20 year olds who have all the time for this um yeah uh, but i can say proudly that i i traveled and competed against some of the best um I I was nowhere near the top if you're asking, oh how how did you do? I was like right in the middle of the pack cuz that's that was my reality. I have a job, so um but I was able to translate that sport into something. So it helped me pay for college and helped me you know get into a hobby later on and I made a lot of friends through it too, so um you know, I still I don't do it anymore, but I can still coach quite a bit of it, so
0: That's awesome. Can you can you describe a little bit like what it's like um being in those Olympic, I guess like tryouts or competitions for the actual full on games?
1: Yeah. So it's a four year cycle. Uh you've got so obviously everybody knows that the Mecca or whatever you want to everybody wants to compete is the Olympics. Uh Every other games, like World Championships, Pan American Games, Central American Games, all these uh, gigantic tur- uh, international tournaments, they are all pseudo-qualifiers for the Olympics. You've got uh, gold-level qualifiers, such as the World Championships and Pan Am Games, and then you got silver-level qualifiers and bronze-level qualifiers, and they all add to a certain number of points. Every athlete has to acquire a certain number of points in order to even qualify for the Olympic you can be the best the best of the best but if you don't compete in all these all these games then you're not gonna you're not eligible Uh, so what that tells you is that these guys have to be at the top of the game year-round yeah so everything's with a cycle you have to prepare your body and prepare your training to kind of peak a certain level it's impossible to peak at all times so you think of these guys Uh, If you think of the runners, you see that they may go into a local meet and they're not running as fast as they did did in the Olympics or the other tournament that you saw them. Well, because they're not peaking right now. Their training is not meant for them to peak at that right moment. You want them to peak at those championships because that's when everybody brings their A-game. So it takes a toll on your body. I was training uh, 10 sessions a week, so you got seven days a week. That means – when you're doing 10 sessions, some of those days are two days. But uh, what takes a toll is that it's their recovery. Some of these guys are 20, 21, 22, 18, 19. Their recovery is a lot faster. On top of that, I have a job. I'm sitting behind a desk all day. Right. So they are done retraining in the morning and they're going back to their houses, eating and probably taking a nap. I'm, I'm working. So um, it's a constant battle of staying in shape not hurting yourself and trying to do your best every day and try to improve just a little bit it's almost you can almost call it insanity you're doing the same thing over and over and over again trying to improve one percent that's what these guys are doing it's a profession people say hey these guys are doing what they like for a living yeah but this is a job they're not they're not just sitting in their house twiddling their thumbs, and you may think, "Oh well, they're not working like I am." It's like, yeah, they're working. It's, it's a job. And some of these guys that are, at, some of these countries, uh, have people that are in very dire circumstances. Um, you know, I met some of these poor countries, and these guys have to pour everything. They have to leave their families behind, so it's it's really tough. Um, but yeah, um. I don't regret it all. I don't regret the pain, the long hours. because uh, ultimately that's the best feeling is going out there with, you know, a shirt or something that says Puerto Rico, US or whatever, and saying that you were there and you took in a picture and right next to you is a three time Olympic champion and you're like, Okay. I'm not I'm not he's gonna obviously destroy me here, but I was right next to him, so uh yeah. that was fun. You were
0: competing yeah. at like the same level as yeah. them.
1: Yeah, so it's, it's definitely different. Um, what people don't realize, this is a year-round thing. Some of these mm-hmm. athletes get a, a week off in, a year, in four years, you know, um, once, particularly those that, that are that high level, uh, not necessarily like the basketball players or people that are doing other sports, but some of these track athletes or some of these athletes that are doing these very specific sport, sports, they get a week off. In two or three years and that's it so it's yeah it's 24 7 365 everything revolves around your, your sleep schedule your eating schedule eating habits uh, there's no partying there's no life uh, it's that if you want to win that's what it takes so it's definitely different for sure
0: it's it's crazy how people can do that and they like have to financially support themselves somehow mm-hmm. right and if you're not, you know, in the NBA or the NBA for other countries mm-hmm. or whatever, sponsored yeah. by Nike or Adidas or whatever, like, how are these people f- financially supporting <laughs> themselves? And
1: it, it really depends on the country and the program. So, yeah, um, one of the best examples I can put is a USA they spend on their athletes, but they will spend more on those that are predetermined to win or they've got a shot and win uh, they will definitely put the money and the recovery because it's not just the money it's also the food the physical therapy that you have to go through all those things that add up mm-hmm. uh, so I'm fortunate to have a job but I had to pay for those things myself because the program Puerto Rico the Olympic pro- Committee just didn't have that kind of funds so but you think some of these other countries like I can think of the best example is Cuba the Cuban athletes, it's, it's different. These guys, I talked to them, and these guys, if they earn a gold medal or they break a world record, they're set for life. Really? So it's just different, but it's a communist country. So right. everything that they do, it's in service to their country. Um, uh, they don't own anything. Um, medicine is nothing for them. Like it can, They can give you prescription drugs. Medicine is nothing for them, They but they struggle to get, like, shampoo or other other things like that it's really weird it's really weird because everything's controlled by the government so these guys i think the better best example was in miami and they take away their phones they cover their wallets everything uh because they will desert and try to stay in within the u.s uh to try to formulate a better life um in cuba you can destroy yourself for years and you happen to just get bronze in the olympics and you do that for all that time and you don't have a preparation you don't have anything else to fall back on and you're a poor person so some of these guys they just they flee i saw a girl fleeing literally she what she ran straight out of the front door the hotel she got into a car and she never came back and they do that all the time they're just fleeing these Uh, dire scenarios but some of these countries they spend a lot of money on their athletes colombia is one of them they spend millions and millions and they've got a world-class team but you've got to put the money on it you got to give them funds so they can pay for their food they can stay home if these if you expect an athlete to pay for them work and train you're not going to get the best out of them you know there may be an off person here and there but you're not going to get the best out of them
0: so that's that's amazing mm-hmm. um i when you were talking about cuba like the did you see the hunger games or read the mm-hmm. books that's what i was thinking yeah it's like everything's controlled by the government and yeah that's exactly what it like is. if you win you're set for life and if you don't i mean in the hunger games they're it's, not gonna kill it's very <laughs> unfortunate. but you go back home to cuba and it's still sad life you're working for uh no money and all that stuff
1: Yeah, and some of these guys, you're talking about physicians, like they've got twelve plus years and they're making dirt money. Like it's nothing; they're not making any money. So it's just crazy to believe that you went through all that preparation to barely afford to feed your family. I I don't know how how they do it. And then people wonder why do they flee? It's like, well, I'd rather be in a place where my money works for me, not where I work for somebody else. Yeah.
0: I um, it's it's f- cool that you bring up Cuba and uh, talking about this because I went to the local science museum last week mm-hmm. and they have a really cool Cuba exhibit uh, that shows, you know, all the culture and um, the art, the music, what they drive, um, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff. And there was there was a part in there that I will not forget. Uh I forget the exact number, but I will for not not forget this that it was twenty eighteen the average Cuban person made the equivalent in pesos to thirty eight dollars US dollars yes. a month. Correct. And I was like, holy shit. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. And
1: it's insane. I mean, I was there in Havana and
0: so you've been to Cuba? Yeah, yeah. Wow. And it's,
1: it's it's sad because you're talking about professionals. These are it's a rich country culturally. They they love their heritage. They're professionals. I'd say people, if you are in the middle of the ocean, and they tell you and there's an accident and you've broken your leg and you need to get surgery right away, and they say we have to take you to Cuba, say yes. They're, they're, you know, you're talking about professionals prepared. They're, it's just that they don't get paid. Now they don't pay for anything. You go to school, you don't pay for school, you don't pay for yeah. college, you don't pay for medical b- degrees, but you can you also can't afford to get a rabbi and cause it, yeah. it, that's just for the rich people or for, or for the, or for the, uh, the tourists or the immigrants, you, you the people there that can't afford to buy that kind of thing. So, because if you're making 38 bucks a month, the, the average person how long does it take you to save up to, to buy that kind of thing? Unless you get it locally where it's locally priced, if you're importing that, that costs somebody something. So you're going to, the cost is going to be reflected up on that. So,
0: yeah, it, I, it's amazing. I, there was a couple of years ago, like the borders were closed or shut down and we could go there uh, for a short amount of time. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the, uh, things changed and borders went right back up. Yeah. Uh, but you went there. Like, I want to know about that experience.
1: Um, so I'm from Puerto Rico, and it's very similar to where I'm from in terms of uh everything around it. But it's not. It's like old. Like everything's older. Like everything stayed in the 60s and 70s. And yeah, it's weird. Um, but uh, if you've never been in Puerto Rico, you land in San Juan. Puerto Rico was a Spanish territory for 300 plus years. People say, "Oh, we've been a U.S. territory since 1898." So why don't you speak English? Like, because we're a Spanish territory for 300 plus years, so it'll take 300 years more. <laughs> <to get laughs> exactly. Back. Um, but the culture's there, and you can see the architecture, and that's why you get you land in Cuba, and I saw Old San Juan, which, and I saw the same architecture. I saw that. Um, so it's just. Um, it's warm people are nice it's great food it's just um, you get there and you're not you, you can tell that you're different you stand out even though I can kind of mingle and everything everything's different for you for them it's not you don't have the same privileges it's, it's just not the same right. they can't go in and buy a coffee the same way you can it's just not the same so that's the biggest difference that I saw it's just you know they don't have the same sense of freedom that we get that you can't just hop on a plane and leave that's not that's not how it works so
0: wow so what what took you to cuba like how did you get there Uh, like what was the what was the point for you to go there was it like a vacation or no
1: it was part of a a competition and i didn't get to compete or anything but i was there for a training um so i got there it was only a couple days but uh, I It's not I mean, it's beautiful Havana is beautiful. It's just um, Yeah, it's just everything you can tell everything's different um, The military is every military is everywhere. It's just it's a communist coming I've never been to any other one So I can't really compare. Yeah, but it's just the freedoms that we enjoy here that people take for granted that they, they just don't have that kind of freedom
0: Yeah, it I don't know it, it It's probably like they might feel like You just have someone from the military or the government kind of breathing down your neck all the time, watching everything you do.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and they they flee, and that's why they flee their country. Yeah, um, because they need a shot at, and and these are hardworking people. I mean, some of the hardest working people you'll ever meet. Um, well prepared. I mean, I was in Texas for uh, a job thing, and I got an Uber. And this guy, who was driving Ubers, he was just making a living. He was a doctor in Cuba. He fled. He's driving Ubers, trying to get back into you know doing wow. these things. So, because you know they get here, obviously they're undocumented, so they need to save yeah. money to apply for citizenship, and they'll apply for citizenship citizenship as soon as they got the money. But it's expensive too, as well. Right. I, I don't know how much it is, but it's expensive. So, um, it's just just sad uh, that they have to go through those kind of hardships. So
0: it is sad it's sad that you can be such a well-trained doctor mm-hmm. and have all the education and it's amazing that they have all that like the ability to give out that education right yep um but it's it, it's sad that they come here and have to drive uber until they can afford to be a citizen
1: yeah um but it, it's it's what it is it's they're used to that. Uh, Puerto Rico has a large influence of Cubans. Um, they just every time there was a games or something, they landed in a Spanish speaking country. They were staying. So the last World Championships for weightlifting were in 2015, were in Houston, and Houston has a large uh, Latin community, and half the team fled. So, um, but that tells you how much money they put in into their program because three year later, three years later, they already have. A competitive team again so that means they have tons and tons of kids just right at the same level
0: so. yeah I, I feel like it is very much like the the holy grail of if you can compete and win a medal mm-hmm. like that's all i have to do the rest of my life yeah you know sitting there as like a 15 year old you know.
1: um but even still you're still uh tied by the freedoms that you don't get Um, the best example I had is one of the coaches back in Puerto Rico, his brother was a two-time Olympian world record holder. And he, he went through that route. He stayed in Cuba and he's just there. Like, I mean, he has his family and whatnot. He's just there, but, um, his brother fled in one of the games and now his brother's having a better life here. So it's just, uh, you're talking about a pair of brothers that haven't seen each other in decades it's
0: just Jeez. crazy.
1: you know some of these people have fled and they haven't seen their home they haven't seen their family in 40 years um, when the gates open those stories were really sad you're talking about a son that hasn't seen his seen his mother in 30 years that's that's just really sad
0: so yeah oh, man I, yeah it's sad I don't I don't really know much like else <laughs> it, <laughs> no, it doesn't I, I, sound great, but I, like. I can
1: empathize because I've been here for ten years. Um people ask me, you know, going back to, to the subject of me, um, people ask me, so what do you miss about home the most? I well the winter is one of the things that I could do away with. <laughs> um but you know, I, I don't mind it. I mind when it's April and it's still snowing, just like anybody else. I, I look up and I'm like, All right, you made your point stop (laughs) Uh, but you know at first you miss the partying you miss the drinks you miss the food and whatnot I can cook so I can make my own food and whatnot ultimately what it comes down to is family Um, yeah I get to see my mother once a year sometimes maybe once every two years my sister my dad and just seeing them uh, I can see them aging I can see them things changing And not being there is probably the most difficult part for sure. Um, You know, my mom, she went through cancer and not, uh, she's fine, she's in remission now, but not being able to help her, even if it was to getting out of the chair when she was getting chemo, um, that's just that sense of helplessness that just gets to to people. And with the pandemic, things have changed. It kind of makes you feel that, is this what I should be doing Um, because when I started working you move to a new city because you take a job and that's the way things are but with working remotely and all that is that what we need to be doing Mm -hmm. I I don't know Um, but yeah I've been here you know ten years I really like Ohio I like Columbus Uh, I could do away with the snow like I said uh, and with the construction on everything for every year, every road seems to be in construction all the time. All the potholes. <laughs> all the potholes. But uh, Puerto Rico is way worse. So uh, I'm not complaining about any of that. Um, but it, it's that. It's just seeing my, particularly my parents get older, my sister get older, your cousins getting married, and you know your your nieces and nephews growing, and you're not there. That's that's probably what gets gets p- to people the most and you know you can miss a c- certain things uh but when a close family member is ill and you're not there and you have the financial means to help them but you're just not there physically that's 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 there, that's very difficult so
0: i think that's why it, why it, it was hard for me to empathize a couple of minutes ago because i haven't had that experience mm-hmm. um yeah is that something you want to expand on? Uh, talk about like living yeah. in Puerto Rico pre moving to America.
1: So um, I, I was also you got to think about age, mentality, and maturity. Mm-hmm. Um, born and raised, the first ten years of my life, you hardly remember anything when you were younger than eight or seven. Right. You, it's hard to remember those kind of you remember pockets. I remember some of my preteen, pre-teen years, I remember my, uh, my teenage years for sure, high school, all that, uh, college, college was great, some of my closest friends are from college, uh, and then moving here, you know, priorities were different in 2012, I came out here, I was looking for an apartment living, what was it called, uh, I can't remember the name, it's Chestnut Hill in Gahanna, that's where I lived. And all I can think about was just working Monday or Friday and going out getting drinks on Sat, Friday and Saturday. And that, that was it. That was my priorities. Um, but then, as you grow, you mature, you meet your significant other. Um, things things change. Uh, I think last year in August, my dad was here, and he was visiting, and my mom was here. And for the first time since I'm 33 now, I'm going to 34, uh, I can definitely tell that the years have caught up to him. You know, he's – I got two older brothers. Um, I'm 33. My older brother's eight years, so he's he's going on 41 and 44. So, I got – there's a pretty big gap. My dad is 72 this year. He's going to be 72 this year. So, I, I could see it. I could see the, all those 40, my dad's a lawyer. Uh, I could see those 40 plus years of practicing law, just caught up to him. And, and, you know, on top of that, thinking of my mom, who's, who's a, she's living with cancer. So that's where I started going back and saying, okay, my priorities have changed. Mm -hmm. Instead of just thinking me now, I got to think about what if they need me. And that's the kind of difference that it makes. Um, Five years ago, six years ago, I didn't have to worry about that. Uh, my sister's there, so she, she takes care of a lot of things. I help when I can when I'm there. Uh, but now it's more of a, if they need me, what am I going to do? So fortunately, I'm still a plane away. Like, uh, I'm fortunate enough that I can afford to. I don't want to, but I'll, I can afford to buy a last-minute flight if I have to. I've done it before. Um, it takes kind of a full day because uh, you have to make a stop. Um, but I can get there, but it's still, it's not being there. It's not the same. It's not being right. there. I'm not taking them to their appointments. I'm not helping on around the house. So it's just, it's, it's just different. That's for sure. So,
0: and I'm sorry to hear that, that your parents, you know, it, it sucks. It's part of, you know, it's, growing it's life. up, yeah, it's life. but you know, it, it's hard in the fact that you know you personally are going through it mm-hmm. right
1: yeah um everybody goes through it um yeah but i think just like most people i would like to be there um to help out when i can that's that's probably the difficult part and like i said with the pandemic is it necessary it's a necessary i've been working from home pretty much since the pandemic began mm-hmm. um is it necessary to be in an office environment and these corporations that want you to be in a hybrid scenario where you're going into the office one or two days a week. I understand that. Um, is it necessary for everybody? You can make the argument that for some it is. Um, but it just changes. It changes your view. What is priorities in your life? So, but I don't know. I don't know what's going to bring. So I try to not dwell on those things or, um, just think about it too much um i can only control so much i can only control my decisions and my actions so i just taking it day by day um but ultimately aside from the sad stuff i've got a great life here um a flourishing career i'm a supervisor for an electrical engineering group uh like i said i work in ap i don't get a discount or <laughs> anything on the light <laughs> bill i can't i work on the transmission level so i don't I don't even know what's happening in your house or whatnot. So, uh, but I've got a, uh, flourishing career, uh, manage a group of 10 people. Um, and you know, just looking forward to the next few years. You've got a lot of, a lot of stuff going on at work. Um, just looking forward to the next few years. But.
0: What, um, so you've, you've worked your way up. Yes. Uh, of course. And, um, what's that, what's that path that you took like what's that experience there as an electrical engineer
1: um so i started out in 2012 and you've got to pay your dues uh you've got to get your hands dirty you got to work uh and get technical and learn uh it doesn't matter how much you studied. you you don't you can't learn this in school you have to get it done you have to make mistakes so it took about five, six years of direct technical work, working with the field, uh, designing substations, designing towers, and then designing um, all the protection that goes around it. Um, and then I moved into various departments, just doing different di- different responsibilities. Uh, but I've also always had a natural abil- ability to lead, um, you know, back in when I was in school, I was the captain of my, fo- of my team. Um, I've always been keen and comfortable talking with people, uh, reaching out, I've always been very comfortable, I'm very extroverted, been very comfortable saying what I think and, um, and learning how to t- speak with people. In a Fortune 500 company like what APS, there's always politics, so you have to learn how to communicate with leaders and how to communicate with others one of the best takeaways that i heard uh, from one of the other leaders there is when i applied for this current position that i am which is a leadership position uh he said you always have somebody you always meet people that want to be led you always meet people that do not want to be led and ultimately you're always also going to find somebody that does not want to be led by you um you can't place everybody um that's my big take on leadership you can't please everybody and you have to be willing to make difficult decisions and have the difficult conversations um, some people say that leaders born or leaders are made uh, I don't have a strong opinion and either, either one you can develop the skills um, but it has to come from you there's a natural leadership ability and that's where I am so I moved into various groups and having experience in various departments kind of put me in a good position to where, be where I am today so when I interviewed for the position I was kind of a shoe and and that's kind of how it happened so
0: what's that um what's that like hands-on experience that you get um you out like working on lines on power lines working on people's houses no. or like figuring out new ways to do things
1: so uh, I've worked at a higher voltage level uh, so you've got what you've got on your house, which are residential customers, the voltage level is fairly low. Uh, you've got, you know, 12 kilovolts, um, eight 4 kilovolts, 8 kilovolts, that's what you see on the lines that are coming into your house. Most of the houses in Central Columbus are uh, buried um, electrical lines, so you don't see the posts right away, but if you get in, out into the country, you'll see those lines going into the house and that line going into the house directly. Uh, what I work is, if you drive on 670 and 270, when you go to Sembury, you see those big tower lines that are crossing the interstate. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the kind of equipment that I work with. So it's more of a high-voltage-level equipment. Um, so what I ultimately what we did is we, you know, AP's been around for almost 100 years. So we've got equipment from the 60s and 70s. So equipment is physical. Eventually it degrades, and you have to replace it. Um, you also have to uh, build new things to sustain the new load. You know, when the, the grid was designed in 1960, they didn't really expect the load that there is today. So you have to reinforce the electrical grid. So my project was designing the substations and the lines and the lines that are connected into that substation to reinforce uh, reinforce the grid or improve the grid. So you've got panels over there with analog devices from the 70s we're replacing with digital devices. That's an example of some of the things that we do. Um, these digital devices can give you de- real-time data. They can give you uh, information on, on a very fast basis, whereas before you had to dispatch an actual field engineer to go out there and look at it. Uh, but I design all the equipment, uh, the drawings, the prints, and everything for the field engineers to implement. And then I I I didn't I got my hands on and do some wiring out there just for fun. But That was mostly held by contractors on the field side. Um, But I was mainly in charge of uh, working on the design of that. Then I transitioned into our grid operations. The grid operations department is in charge of blackouts. Uh, If you guys remember the 2003 blackout, that's basically what my job is, trying to avoid that. (laughs) 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 That's that's what my job is. So obviously it's a much larger scale. I monitor a a software that is constantly monitoring the, the the grid 24/7, 365. There is 24 servers dedicated to that software. We've got grid operators 24/7 on on dispatch, and my group is responsible supporting those grid operators. They're 24/7. They're rotating 12-hour shifts. So um, uh, my group is responsible of maintaining the tools that they use to do their job. So.
0: So, like, my my power goes out at my house. You if it goes
1: out, like, just because something tripped, like, a squirrel ate something and down yeah. the line, I, I don't see that. Now, if it goes out to the entire city, yeah, I, okay. I, I get a call.
0: Now, if, like, the first thing, like, if a squirrel ate it, is that another team that sees it? Or... Yeah. Yeah, okay. so
1: that would be the distribution department. They see things on much larger, a much smaller scale. Okay. Uh, but if like the entire, like if uh, Vine substation, if you guys have seen Biden substation uh, right over there by Park Street, uh, or one of those gigantic substations starts blowing up and the entire city goes out, yeah, you can bet that I'm, I'm going to get a call.
0: <laughs> that's that's those, uh, those substations. They're like those crazy looking things like with all the fences that says do not even come within a hundred feet of this place right yeah yeah Um, Yeah. so you you've like worked on those and stuff like that wow yeah
1: yeah Yeah, so we design those and uh, design implement maintain those Um, so my job now is to look at the system that's overseeing that Um, so we got real-time data from everything coming in the field and our job is to determine what would happen, what is the next contingency? What would happen if something else would uh, so suddenly go out of service? Uh, let's say a drunk driver hits a pole and this line that goes from A to B goes out of service. What would happen? What, what would happen in the system? And that's, that's our job, to monitor the tool that does that. So that tools is running twenty four seven three sixty five, 365, but it's still ultimately a software. A software requires patching, requires a lot of maintenance that you have to do to it. And it also requires upkeeping because when you're doing projects, you need to maintain it up to date. So.
0: Wow. And so when you guys are going through this, are you going through like a bunch of different what if scenarios and trying to figure out those solutions before those what if scenarios happen?
1: Yes. Yes. Um, That's, what they do, the engineers do in our in our department, pretty much that, that's what their job is. They're not only adding things, they're also looking what what ifs. Um, for every piece of equipment that's new, you have to take something else out to work on it safely. You can't really, if you're changing a, you're putting a, a fan or ceiling fan in your house, the first thing you do is turn off the breaker. Well, I can't really turn off the breaker mm-hmm to work for a week in somebody's house. That's not how it works. So the power redirects somewhere else, but that means that you're adding more stress to something else and eventually it could collapse. So we're trying to determine what are the things that we can do according to the time of the year or the other things that are happening at the same time and things like that.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I was very curious on how you go to these substations or these other physical places out there and know that you're going in there safely yeah without getting electrocuted
1: um uh so everything's grounded uh everything's uh safely handled but yeah there's some trainings and some uh cautious things you have to do we have to wear safety equipment obviously if you get bolted by a thousand (laughs) a thousand amps there ain't no safety equipment that's going to save you. So yeah. um, you have to, you know, it's, it's dangerous. Uh, there's, uh, you know, a level of danger going into the substations, but you get training, you get prepared to go into it. Um, it's not something I can just, hey, let's just walk in, in there. That's not how it works. You, you got to get some training. You got to get clearance to get in there. So it, it takes a little bit of getting a uh, little work to get in there. So.
0: Now, what's what's like the preparation like before you go into that substation not just the training but what's the process you go through like hey we need to work on this one today um, How do we make it safe before we go in there? What's that?
1: So um, uh, first thing you got to do is you've got to call the dispatch center which is the guys that are looking at the system 24 center and you got to ask them can I take this out of service? And they send it to another group, which analyzes it in real time, right at the moment and says, yes, you can take it out of service. Nothing should happen. And once you take it out of service, you have to tag it and you have to ground it. Uh, even though it's already disconnected, everything's open, you still have to tag it and ground it. So there's a very, very thorough, uh, defined process to work on the equipment that's been live. Obviously, if the equipment's not energized, it's just sitting out there like anything else, then you can touch it. But anything that's live or that you have to take out of service, there is a... I mean, some of these jobs can have hundreds of pages of steps of what you exactly have to do in order to take something out of service. Wow. So, it takes time. It definitely takes a lot of training, and they are not going to leave you unexperienced. You are going in there with somebody that knows who's... There's certifications to do the kind of thing. There's some things you got to pass before you're even remotely close, remotely able to work independently. So I've, I'm not into that role, so I will get there, and I will assist on things that they need. They said that it, it's something safe for me to work on, but um, I'm mostly there to help, uh, and when I was in that department, mostly to work on the design and help answer questions about the design of new stuff that was going in. So,
0: Wow, that's... That's incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're in your um, like supervisor role. Are you trying to make all these things happen for your team so they can go in there safely? Like, is that, is that your kind of your role right now?
1: No, no, we're not really going out there very much. Um, our job's a little bit different. Uh, I have taken them out since I had that experience. I have done that. Um, I think it just puts things into a very good perspective. Um, because they see a, a representation of what the grid looks like on a computer screen, but it's very different looking at a squiggly line on a on a computer screen, but mm-hmm. when you're going out there and you see a transformer that's worth that's worth 2.5 billion dollars and it's the size of a small building, then you start saying, okay, this is a little bit more than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, that humming sound. There's a big humming sound. If you get close to it, you can hear. You can feel the energy going through it. Uh, so it's um, it's definitely shocking. I like I like to do that. I also like to take <laughs> them take them to the training center, mess around with them a little bit. You know, open and close a few things just to mess around. But that's jokes that I've done in the past. So.
0: Yeah. Well, it's all, they're all safe. Everything's yeah. safe.
1: Everything's yeah. safe. I, I don't touch anything that I, I'm not supposed to. Right. Um. You know, there's, uh, there is some, you know, there is something, you know, you can go in into a substation and play the game. How fast can you lose your job? And, and that's touching something you shouldn't be touching. Yeah. Yeah. So the first rule of thumb is don't, don't touch anything. If you don't, don't touch anything. Just walk in there. You can look at whatever you want. Just don't touch anything. Yeah.
0: Look, don't touch. Yes.
1: <laughs> so.
0: Um, is there anything else you wanted to mention about, uh, like what you do on a daily basis or, uh, in your no, career at all?
1: uh ultimately, uh, I like to say that I'm pretty much on call 24 seven. if something happens, they will call me. Um, uh, when we had the, uh, event in Texas, so we have a footprint in Texas, uh, last year that, you know, it was freezing and before, oh yeah, we were covering that event. Um, that was, that was a fun time. <laughs> Um we don't we don't have any control over of things that that happens after they happen. We just have to do the best we can to mitigate that. Yeah. Um but yeah, uh part of my job is that. So that sense of always knowing that he can call me at any time is it's always
0: there. So. so with um with like the Texas thing, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, um like so just in case anyone doesn't know, whoever is listening, um, like kind of what happened, a little TLDR, and then like, what did you do? So um,
1: that event in Texas, we had what we call a capacity deficiency. Capacity deficiency means that you did not have enough generation to meet the demand. The demand is just the customers asking for electricity. Um, so on, every, on every, every day, every single basis, there's an expected generation uh, to be available, whether it's coal, uh, nuclear, uh, solar, whatever. Every day there's an expected amount of generation available and there's an expected load. Uh, But in that day in particular, there was a series of uh, cascading events that took off generation. You can lose trend lines, you can lose transformers, but when you lose generation, that's your source. That's where the power is coming from. So eventually when you don't have enough to meet your demand, your only option is to take customers off because if you don't do that then you're gonna lose the remaining sources that you have and if you lose do that, then it's way worse. So people think oh they're doing they're cutting people's power on purpose't no it's like I'd rather take off your power even if it's cold than burning down the line because if I burn down the line, then it's gonna take me three months to fix that line.
0: And then you're out of power for three months. Correct. So rather than a week.
1: I'd rather protect the generator so that it doesn't blow up because that's the only source I have available, than you know, running the risk of doing that. So what happened was so Texas is everything's different in Texas, obviously. Their own their their own little island. They're basically disconnected from the rest of the grid in the United States. Yeah. And that's good and bad. In this instance it was obviously bad so they lost a number of key generators on that day that was particularly cold and icing so icing causes a lot of problem because the ice gets weight on the lines and the lights start flopping and when they touch it the equipment that's meant to protect them does its job so it takes it out of service and once it take it out of service the generators need certain amount of load to order to function properly. Otherwise, their frequency, which is how many, how fast their turbines are spitting, starts getting off whack. And if that's getting starts getting off whack, it can blow up. So their system is designed to protect itself and they take it offline. So um, that's basically what happened. So ERCOT, which is the government entity in Texas, s- issued it a mandate to start issuing tripping customers out of service and some of those customers were out for an extended period of time more than anybody expected they would be so a lot of heads rolled um uh AP was just working based on the instructions of Aircot Aircot is basically the actual the official government entity that says you have to do this AP has no choice they have to do it in Ohio we do the same thing with uh, the regional entity called PJM. PJM calls us and say, in order to protect the rest of the grid, I need you to drop all of Ohio. AP has to do it. There's no, wow. there's no if, ands or buts. Uh, because what they say goes. What, that's it. And this is federal. This is I'm talking about the Department of Energy says that they have that kind of power. Wow.
0: See?
1: So <laughs> it's, it's part of why this grid is unregulated. And that's, because the, the ultimate function of those entities is to protect the customer's pockets. Because uh, otherwise, every little utility will form their own monopoly. They will own the generators. But these regional entities, their job was to, they, they're the only ones that know what generators are available. AP does not know what's, what's available. So they control what the generation looks like. So they go from cheaper units to the more expensive units. And that day in Texas in particular, we ran out of units. So when you run out of units, you run out of power. When you run out of power, there's only, there's only so much you can do. So.
0: So what was, what was like AEP's involvement in that? Um, we were, like,
1: go ahead. I now, was just curious. Like, we were issued an instruction of shedding. Shedding means cutting off uh, a certain number of load. A certain number of load means that you're tripping off equipment that's usually customers until you uh, meet that okay. num- until you meet that number.
0: So, AEP was kind of like, hey, you need to do this one, and then this one, and then that one. So, all the companies that ERCOT,
1: he was sending instructions. And the problem is, depending upon the area, it could be much more on AEP than anybody else because AEP has the biggest load pocket there. So, they need to tell AEP to drop the most customers. And that's just the way the system is designed. Um, You've got an interconnected grid but the, the company that has the most customers in this area is AEP. So sorry, you do the short, the short stick this time, and it's your turn to uh, turn your customers off. So obviously, turning customers off is far and away the last resort. When they do that, they've explored every other option that's available. There's nothing else that could be done. And these guys have to make these decisions within minutes. So they're training for years to become independent system operators and I'm talking it takes about four years to be sitting on that desk by yourself to be able to make a decision that somebody's gonna criticize um, uh, or Monday morning driving when they're not there but these guys have to make a decision right then and there so you you're, you're getting trained to make a decision and they did make the right decisions um, it was just it was a lot worse than it thought it was gonna be everybody thought it was gonna be
0: Wow and everyone is going to criticize you for so long because you decided to do this but it it's hard um, like to understand that it's it's not just about you or not you the customer or you the person it's about the safety of everyone
1: yeah yeah if you're if you take away from anything is that trust me neither ERCOT nor AAP will ever want to cut your lights because the paperwork that you have to go through and the fines that go behind that are enormous. Yeah. So trust me, that's not what's happening. It's just, it's a decision that they made and they have made mistakes in the past. I'm not saying that that has not happened because ultimately you've got a human being that's getting trained, but the training can only take you so far. How do a person reacts to a high pressure situation similar to somebody who's working who's a surgeon they get trained for 12 years right but ultimately they still have to make the decision whether to stitch something or not to stitch it or to do something and that could be very well mean the end of somebody's life so under the high pressure situation the operator will have to rely on his training to make a decision and they did so in ERCOT, and the event in texas they they made the right decisions it's just the design of what, of how it's supposed to work, which basically is rolling blackouts, which means you get power, your powers off for eight hours and then back on for eight hours. But some of these guys were out for 24, 48 hours. So that was not, that's the that's the, what they're probably looking into. And it's going to take years before that report comes out. So, um, but yeah, that's ultimately how it works.
0: So there's going to be a report on what happened in Texas last year. At uh, some Come point. out at some point.
1: Yeah, at some point. Uh, I'm sure there's already plenty of reports out there. Uh, but, I mean, half of the board uh, resigned. You know, a lot of heads rolled for this. So oh, I'm sure. the people that were responsible, uh, they've got high positions of power, but high position of power also means that you're responsible for these kinds of things. So Right. Uh, and people were all upset about a board not being from texas and like have you seen the board of the rest of fortune 500 companies (laughs) i guarantee you they're not from where that locality is or whatever so right
0: that's crazy um yeah is there is there anything else that you uh wanted to mention on 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 that being an electrical engineer being in texas or uh, working with texas and all that
1: um no i i do like to say that I, I am doing what I went to school for. Mm-hmm. Not many people can do that. Um, yeah. you had Nathan here, he's a physician, obviously that's pretty obvious. Um, but you get to find a lot of people that go to school for something and they end up doing something else. I am definitely doing exactly what I went to school for. So I'm kinda, I can't, I'm kinda happy on that, but, uh, you know, I went to school to be a, an engineer and I'm kind of venturing to the management role where the engineering basics are still important prevalent, but uh, I'm leading a lot more in the leadership, style, in the leadership role and trying to get into those uh, positions of leadership. Because uh, that's ultimately what draws my attention. Um, I can lead people. Uh, I can lead through conflicts, through high pressure situations. Um, I've had the unfortunate uh, pleasure of letting people go too, so it's never easy. Uh, but I can do it. Um, I can do all kinds of things. So uh, I'm leaning into that a lot more now.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. And that's that's where you want to keep growing your career.
1: I feel that for many people, when they prepare for something, uh, they want they go, they go into a career, they aspire to help others. And yeah. I think that's how I can help others the most is by leading them into the right spot uh a lot of people do it for money that's that's the reality of things that's not why i do this Uh, i've applied to um, higher level positions because i think i can make a difference Mm -hmm. i think that is something that could help me uh further expand my career or something that just sits close to my heart um for whatever reason so
0: that's so interesting um i love talking to people and i've heard a lot more recently uh for whatever reason it's you know everyone just wants to help people mm-hmm. um and that's like a core thing that everyone says on why they do what they do yeah um, but everyone's rationale is always different and it's what would interest you and what drives you and what excites you
1: yeah yeah um there's all kinds of ways of helping people um you just gotta figure out what fulfills you the most um you can help people by just about anything yeah just talking to somebody can be helpful you don't have to have be a therapist to talk to somebody and, and that could be helping somebody so it's just whatever fails you fulfills you the most yeah
0: yeah definitely So, um so i want to switch gears and ask you about um like, what was it like growing up in Puerto Rico mm-hmm. and what's the differences, like the big differences you see, um, like being there and then being here in America um, or in the States, I guess, because yeah. Puerto Rico is America. Too. Yeah,
1: uh, no, it's it's fine. Um, I miss the people, the warmth, the people here. You, I've been here 10 years and I barely know my neighbor's name names. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it also depends where you live how you are how your people are um, there's a warmth to the people back there that I miss You, whether you like them or not you know your neighbors you know everybody it's a much more close aspect uh, 6 million people on the island but you know born and raised my parents have been married for they married 86 so 35 years now
0: 35 yeah, wow
1: 35 years now uh, 30 yeah they're going 35 years now um got two older brothers a younger sister uh, so my dad divorced my parents uh the my my older brother's uh, mother so they're only um, half brothers but uh how do i say like i said i was fortunate enough to be part of a Direct family of scholars. My father's a lawyer. My mom is a counselor in, the, in college as well. My sister's a lawyer as well. She passed. She just recently passed the bar in New York. Um, so m- my immediate family, my man, my mom, my dad, and my sister, uh, we're all educated. Both my brothers are, but the rest of my family is not really. Uh, we come from a very poor, humble family. Um only from my mother's side. I do not know pretty much anybody from my dad's side because my dad married a black woman in 86 and his mother, that side of the family did not agree with that. And I don't, I don't know that side of my family. Um, but you know, my dad, he, he's a lawyer. He went to uh, law school in Puerto Rico and then, uh, got advanced degrees in NYU. Um, so they always made a habit of me getting good grades. Um, people ask me why is your why do you don't you have an accent? I do have an accent, and uh, particularly if I'm drinking or I start getting too deep into conversation. You'll start to see the Spanish coming out a little bit. So <laughs> I apologize for that. Um, but studies were the most prevalent thing in my house. Um, I played all sports: baseball, basketball, soccer. Anything that took cut class, I played it. I And I was pretty darn good at most of it, too. Um, throughout my teenage years, I was a pretty good baseball player. I got into bas- basketball high school. I think everybody played basketball or football in their high school at some point. Most people did. Um, uh, but then I continued to play baseball until I was 16, 17. Um, but I just didn't like it. I do have the figure, you know, I'm six foot three. Um, I was good at it. I just didn't like it. And I think that's uh I, I like to have a joke with my dad. I said that's one of the most disappointing things I've ever had because my dad is five foot six tops. I'm six three. <laughs> wow. And he's a he's an dying baseball fanatic and his son, who's six foot three, has a figure, has a body, has a build to play baseball and probably could have gone to college playing baseball. Just didn't like it. Um but they uh uh, they just made sure that, you know, you said you could, you have to maintain Going through above three point I always had 4.0 in high school and all that but um, and that's and Getting into engineering school that helped because I was able to Compartmentalize my time You know being an athlete as well as going to engineering school Granted I was only doing it in school because I liked it. It was fun. But I wasn't doing it super competitive as I did after. I was just doing it full-time. I trained two hours a day, three hours a day, and that's fine. Uh, you can't really be a full-time athlete and go into a degree like this. I, I don't see how that's very possible. Uh, I mean, it's possible, but it's pretty hard. Um, but, yeah, born and raised, and uh, I went through a very good high school, a very quite expensive high school um that put me in a position in to uh advance in mathematics and science. So when I was in junior year in high school, I went to the counselor. And she said, You got two fields here. You can go into medical school or you can go into engineering. It's like which one gets me paid faster? She said <laughs> Engineering. It's like, Okay, that's that's what it is. I always wonder if I should have gone into the medical school. Um, but you know, it's it's part of life. You make decisions. Right. I, I like to think that it's really funny that we have to make all these decisions when we're kids. Oh so yeah. We're, we're children making these decisions that are going to be affecting the rest of your life. Um, so, but yeah, uh, got into engineering school. Um, and then those last, those five years of engineering school, uh, I took, I was working for APS and inter for 11 months. So it took me a lot longer to graduate. Um, some of the best time in my life um i don't take it away for anything i party like an animal i keep <laughs> saying i have no idea how i graduated uh but i i always go back to being able to divide my time up within sports and studying and making sure that ultimately at the, de- the end of the day getting a good grade was more important than anything else um and kind of helps me formulate the person I, that i am today but Uh, Big differences back to where you were asking is it's the people Um, there's obviously a lot of cultural differences here Um, I can't deny that the way that I feel when I walk home versus when I'm here it's different for sure Um, I've definitely gotten looks that I've never gotten in my life I've gotten questions that I've never gotten in my life I've gotten stopped the way that I've never gotten in my life when I moved here but my mom prepared me for it. So it's definitely a different, a different feel, Uh, but I don't go through life being cautious about everything and everyone because that's no way of living either. So my experience has been in Columbus that in general, everybody's great. There's always bad people anywhere you go. Um, But I'm also cognizant that there's a different way of beliefs out here. The last six years in general, with the politics and all that, I think it's just been awful for the country. Um, it just feels like everybody's attacking each other. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, 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 I hate that. I really hate it because that's not that's not what it's all about. I truly believe there's good in most people out here. And that's the way I, 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 I handle myself at work. I handle myself in general life. Um, but the people are different. Um, it's just a lot here they're more dry they're more reserved everybody kind of keeps their their own and you know i've told amanda my fiance at home say sometimes it's a weekend and we got nothing to do nobody to call or nobody nowhere to go back home granted i know a lot more people so that plays a role but there's always something to do and that's kind of how i felt sometimes um but i've made some fantastic friendships here too um if I had to stay here for the rest of my life, it's not, I wouldn't mind it either. It's a great place to live. I've made some good friends, got into a hobby that I probably should not get, got into. (laughs) Uh, For those of you wondering, we're sipping on some very expensive whiskey right now, but uh, (laughs) uh, it's also given me and turned me into a man. So again, we go back to, maturity when you're growing up what are priorities what are what are important things in life back then to where they are now now I want to generate wealth I want to generate wellness for my family um, and make a difference in this world so um, this is where I am this is where I chose to be I do not regret my decision at all I, I like the city I really like everybody around here um, but I can't deny that there's different feeling in the air let's just say that
0: can we can we go into that yeah like those cultural differences um the the way that you're treated Mm -hmm. um you know all those things
1: uh so what can i put an example last a one that kind of resonates which is really stupid um so i was in tiffany and easton and I was purchasing a Christmas gift for my now fiance. And it was a, it was a, uh, what do you call these things? A little thing for your, wrist, a bracelet for, for her wrist. Yeah. And I couldn't find my wallet and my coat. It was cold. And the guy who was talking to me. His immediate reaction was, "Oh well, what? You can't pay for it. And I looked at him. It's like, why would you assume that? He said, well, cause you're looking. It's like, no you, you made an assumption and that's that kind of thing that caught me normally i don't pay attention um it could also be, could have been because i'm young um but i can't deny that the first thing comes to mind is did he say that because i'm young or did he say that because i'm black um it's just where my mind goes um i you know i've, I've seen looks of people when I'm walking through an airport or a plane, as if I say, Like, where am I gonna go? Like, we're in the same plane with you." <laughs> um, it's just it's that feeling that there's something uncomfortable in the air. Um, it's like a buzz in the air, um, and and that's, that's just my experience. Um, but it it's not everywhere. I'm not saying that's everywhere I go. I'm just saying it's happened. Yeah. Um, and it's a lot more than just a few bad apples this is I'll say that uh, but it's definitely happened um, I have worked in Kentucky I worked in West Virginia and I walked into places and bars and restaurants that I look around and I'm like immediately uncomfortable because I know they're looking at me like you're not from around here what's going on uh, part of my job took me to Kentucky working Kentucky quite a bit um, and as soon as I walked around I was like yeah okay I can tell that it, They're not used to having somebody like me around here. So, but you know, that doesn't mean I left and I still had lunch and it's fine. Uh, But it's just the way things are back home. Population is a lot more mixed in general. There's still um, uh, cultural issues and racist issues. They're everywhere. It's just here they're a lot more pronounced than somewhere else. I'll say that.
0: Um, that yeah i think that's important to discuss yeah um especially in like as we progress and get older it should not be such a thing but the way that the world is going like it just keeps getting worse it seems and i i don't understand
1: (laughs) and it goes both ways um yeah with social media how it is today I like to uh, what was it? I think it was Mike Tyson that posted something. Uh, social media has enabled people to say a lot of things without getting punched without getting punched in the face. I, I <laughs> love that because in social media and some of these channels, people are, are nasty. Oh yeah, and they're particularly nasty and it's just and you you think that that's and it' has just infected our society that everybody thinks this way. And now there's a separation, and it's it's not that's not real. I mean, that's not what life is. But you know, some of the most active people on social media are just disgusting, and it's. I I'd like to think that social media has been both a blessing in certain ways, in very very few ways, but it's also been one of the biggest viruses that has infected our society because. Oh, yeah now all the people that had an opinion that was wrong are sharing that opinion and then they're convincing others that their opinion is right and it goes to both sides whether you're left right white blue yellow it it goes on all sides and you say because something that person says kind of resonates with you you take it as truth and that's not truth you got to formulate your own truth um and it's made to the point where your opinion is the only opinion that matters um if you are affiliated to a certain political stance you're always right and you there's no chance for you to be wrong it's like no there's you can be wrong about certain things and but what's right and wrong what defines what's right and what's wrong it's whatever you define it it is right so um it's just it's a very different world that we live in here and also the pandemic everybody being at home and just the only thing that you had, the only outlet yet you, you had at one point was the TV and social media. So right. it just has become exponentially worse. And I think it's, it's a virus that we need to address.
0: Have you watched uh, the documentary? I believe it's on Netflix. It's called uh, the social dilemma.
1: Uh, no, I've heard I, I, it's on my, my list okay. of things to watch on Netflix. Um, But, yeah, I've read all about it, how how insane some of these scripts are that are tracking everything that we do. Every search that happens, there are these algorithms that are tracking everything that you do, what you search. So if you have a very conservative approach to life and to some opinions, everything that's going to show on your feed is conservative. And so everything agrees with you, resonates with you, so that makes it even more. Uh And, And I... I need to think that at some point, hopefully, we all get to a middle. There's always going to be a meet. You know, you've got 20% that lean far left. I want to think, or you know, 15% or 10% that lead far left. I want to think that 90% are in the middle, and then there's a percentage that leans far right. But I think the edges are getting bigger in the middle, and those people that are leaning left or leaning right are. are getting more and more shifted towards those things and i think that's that's a big problem we need to get somewhere in the middle of everything and it's okay to disagree we can have different opinions about tax plans we can have different opinions about education what's important what priorities are i don't think we need we should have different opinions about race issues about fundamental human rights issues that should not be a different opinion that should be a single opinion and I don't think right now it is. So
0: yeah, I'm in total agreement with you. Um, I would definitely say that I don't understand why it's an issue. Mm-hmm. I I can't think of a solid argument on why the color of someone's skin should change any sort of fact, opinion, acceptance, uh, denial, anything. Mm-hmm. I, yeah,
1: <laughs> and there's always a bias. Um, I read I had a training not too long ago. There's all kinds of different biases. I don't even know this. There's a bias by association, uh, meaning you you have something in common with this person. Let's say you're a hiring manager and this person went to the same school that you did. That's, that's already a bias. Yeah. Um, you had an uh, altercation with somebody from a different racial culture and you're hiring that per- a person or you're hiring someone the next day that comes from the same place or culture. Our brain is designed to have an implicit bias at some point. And it's our job to change how we, inter- how we work around those biases. Mm-hmm. Um, and it goes from all sides. It comes from all sides. It comes from every person. Every person has a person they trust the most, a person they trust the least. And more, more than likely the person they trust the most looks kind of lo- like them, so. Um, and that's where the problems in our society are. We're still so divided in our society, both financially, culturally, educationally, that you're still not addressing the issue. You want people to see different things, put them together. Make them go to school together. But if you go to Dublin or New Albany, and you look at the overall skin tone of every kid in these expensive areas. What does it look like? Go to downtown Columbus or go to somewhere else. What does it look like? Yeah. A- and we need to address that. We need to start young. We need to, st- and we need to recognize that. Um, and at the same time, um, people that are are in these precarious situations or these bad situations, we need to teach them that. You can't blame everything on your surroundings. Your surroundings are bad. And then we, we blame them because they made a bad situation. When you're born and raised and drugs and alcohol, and that's all you know, you blame them because they made a bad situation. Well, that's their surroundings. So how do we get them to see that there's something else out there? So yeah. That's what we need to start. That's my opinion what we need to start looking at. Um, but we're so focused on so think- so many things that are insignificant vaccine how much money are we going to continue to to put on fighting whether should people get the vaccine or not it's like oh my god let it go (laughs) (laughs) let it go you know yeah uh i just think some of these topics are ridiculous I, i
0: don't know yeah i don't i try not to get like too political here i know um but i i do I would agree with you that a lot is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, that there's just so many things that it's like, why are we discussing this? Why is this even an argument? Why can you critically think a, a thought? Right? Like. <laughs> it irritates me. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's it's infuriating because it feels like you're fighting a war you can't win. You're you're yeah. talking t- into deaf ears and it's infuriating. So I I try to avoid political conversations, but when I find somebody that can express a different opinion and and come up with a compelling argument, I also find it really inspiring and really fulfilling because there's two people that are able to discuss a subject that they feel passionate about without getting personal I think that's the problem today so everything gets really personal really fast
0: yeah everyone not everyone but like everyone uh, takes things just so personally these yeah. days and it's just I I think social media might actually have something to do with that. I agree. <laughs> because you can say anything you want, whatever you want, wherever you want, whenever you want. No repercussions. It, there's no repercussions. You set, you posted it online under a username that's not your name. Mm-hmm. And it's out for everyone to see. And yeah.
1: But yeah. Um, so out here also I've learned... How hard some people work. Mm-hmm. So all those people that I've met in the field, oh my God. These people are out there. Rain, sleet, snow. I've never seen that. I've seen we don't get any seasons. so it's all <laughs> summer, all year round. And like I was thinking last summer we had our our deck built out in our backyard. And what these guys were doing back there, I'm like, oh my God, I could never do that. Um, and I love to see the local folks putting in the work uh, getting their businesses from the ground up and that's some one of the reasons why i'm here it's like people are doing what they can out here to really find some meaning into something that they do um and, and, I, and I love it some of the hardest working people and the nicest people i've ever wor- worked here i've ever met are here as well so if i ever were to leave ohio it would it would suck i'm not i'm not saying that this is not good place to live. I I, I love here, I love the people, um, and I would miss the people the most. So what I value the most out of anywhere where I where I am, it's it's the people. If the people suck, then it's easy to leave. Right. Um so home was Puerto Rico was the people. Most importantly my family. Here I've made some very strong friendships and relationships with people. And this city has helped me grow into the man that I am today. So I'll always hold hold it dear to my heart my heart. And I also drank the Kool-Aid. I'm a buckeye now. So um I'm <laughs> sorry. I, I drank it full all the way through to my toenails. So it's full <laughs> Buckeye.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. You gotta drink the Kool Aid yeah. uh of OSU and Buckeyes.
1: Yeah. I'm still up, up, up for grabs uh, on the NFL: Bengals or Browns. I think the city, Columbus, leans more on Browns. I think so. I, I think so, but I, I'm not sure. the The, the numbers up because what Bengals did this year was amazing. True. The Browns are infuriating to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Browns are <or> Browns.
0: <laughs> so. Yeah. If um, you ever just want to be infuriated on a Sunday, just be a Browns fan. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, now that I've been here in ten years, I'm people ask me, did you go to Ohio State? No, but I live in Columbus. So that's good enough for me to be a Buckeye yeah. fan. So <laughs>
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So Um What what's that like not just the people but the surroundings what's that cultural difference um and also like the work ethic of people uh, is there a big difference um yeah. between the states and puerto rico
1: um both my parents worked have worked for 40 plus years work ethic wise i think there's a generational difference um both my parents boomers um work well into their 70s all they've known is you wake up six in the morning five six in the morning you get breakfast and you get your kids to school to the bus or whatever and they go to work pick up the school Monday to Friday that that was it and i still saw that here uh i see some of the smartest people i've ever met also work here um but then here, I've also seen a lot of people willing to figure out ways to uh, better help themselves back home. One of the reasons where such financial struggles is the system is designed to entice you to not work. What I mean by that is if you're getting coupons and you're getting welfare and, a- and all the aids in the world, as soon as you get a job, you don't qualify for half those things in your income it's a third of what it was during those eight. So who in the right man mind wants to work? Yeah. How, how would you, how are you incentivizing this person to get out of their own way and find a a better job? You're not, you know, you should either cap it or say, you know, I'm going to match what you were making until your salary and your job helps. But if, as soon as you get a job and it passed a certain number, you lose everything. Then why would you work? Uh, so I I do like to see that the people here in general, in general, uh, try to figure out ways to get a job, get some money in their pocket, get their own place, get an apartment, and formulate what most people know as the American dream. Yeah. Um, there's always the odd folks out. There's always people that are. Lazy or beggars, and that's there's always that, but back home, Puerto Rico, the system is so corrupted and it's so sad because you're taking the median salary back then, back there is like 19 to 20 thousand dollars compared to the median salary here is what 30, 40 maybe. I'm not sure what the median salary is.
0: Uh, I just saw it the other day for a couple in america it's like 65 68 Mm -hmm. somewhere around there
1: back home it's probably 25 30. for
0: Um, for two for two for a household of two wow
1: so uh it's not like it's substantially cheaper than here it's a little cheaper but not a whole lot yeah so the the government is so corrupted you've got 78 municipalities think of them as think of them as little tiny states Every okay. sing- single 70 of them has a mayor. Why, in God's name, do you need 78 on an island that's 100 by 35? And that's the way it's been for 60 years now. The island wow. is such a massive debt that professionals like myself are leaving. Cause I can't find a job. So I didn't touch on this when I talking about it before, but I graduated college. I had five offers from five U.S. companies. I didn't get a single offer in Puerto Rico. There wasn't a, a single company or a single entity looking for electrical engineers in Puerto Rico that wanted to incentivize me to stay. So it's just a massive problem down there. So the people that work, the the middle class, the working class are exploited. The rich get richer, the poor get poorer. That's that's basically what it comes down to. Um, my parents you know, worked for 40-plus years. We had you know, nothing. I, I can never say that there was food missing in my house. We never struggled for anything. My dad's a lawyer. Well, both well-prepared, both having good-paying jobs. But it seems to me from where I stand or the vantage point that I'm at is that they're going to exploit – the taxes on the people that work and they will give incentives to the rich and they will give incentives to the poor and that's why the island is such in such a precarious situation right now uh, to the point where the last governor that won he won by obtaining 33% of the vote that's not How's even at f- work <laughs> <laughs> that's not even 50, because he got 33, the other got 29, the other got 14, and so on and so forth. Oh, okay. So he got majority of the vote, and not even half the people voted for you. So, Wow. It's just so divided. It's so bad. Um, it's sad. It's really something that breaks my heart because it's still home for me. It's still my home. It's my beautiful island. But over the last—we've been in a recession for— what 15 years now um and i don't see it getting better at all so wow i I like to i always like to joke around and say that we should go in there with an etch-a-sketch and take the entire government (laughs) and government and just you know shake it and just start over and be like all right you you guys are done this is not how it's happening again so
0: wow is is there anyone doing anything to better the situation in puerto rico
1: yeah um The generations, um, there's still a large, that older generation that they're affiliated to this political party because it's blue or red or yellow or green, and that's what they vote for. And there's no thought process going into this. But what scares me the most is that all these young professionals living now, the new generation of folks my age and younger are changing that, but still not there yet. What scares me the most is you know talking about with my mom and her illness was you you got the professionals leaving the doctors are leaving so and the the ones that are left are getting older the people that are left are getting older they're getting sicker and you've only got so many cardiologists you're getting you got only so many uh whatever type of all just you want to think about left in the island and it's just getting progressively worse So yes, there are plenty of parties kind of coming up, but there's still that large influence from the old two main parties in the island that are still corrupted to the core, but people still vote for them. I don't know why. To me, it's hard to explain why now. So I like to think that in the next two or three elections that's going to change, but I don't see how it's going to change without making radical changes. Like, radical changes to the point where you're breaking apart the entire uh, government system and saying, no, yeah. we're, we're going to redo this, the entire thing. So,
0: um, what's their, I'm sure they have, like, different political parties mm-hmm. uh, than the states. But, like, what are, do you know what they are Yeah, and um, how they operate?
1: They main three ones for <laughs> 40 years where, um... I'm not gonna translate them, but basically the blues, which were voting for statehood, we voted for statehood 17 times. When you've got a, you know, what is it, 70, bi- 70 something billion doll- dollar debt as a country, the US is not gonna absorb that. Um, yeah. So the second one is uh, what we call, uh, I like to think of it as a status quo. Basically we are um, an associated state. We have an our gov- government entity, but we are U.S. citizens. We can get drafted for the Army. We can uh, uh, get drafted for the U.S. forces. We can't vote for the president. Uh, we pay federal taxes and we abide by federal laws, but everything else is local. So it's there's a separation there. So that party is still, which has lost the last six or seven elections now in a row, is still maintaining that status quo, which is clearly not working. You can't maintain the status quo. The status quo worked 80 years ago when when the the economy was booming, the, the industrial era began, and there was all these companies using, manu- there was a lot of manufacturing going on in Puerto Rico. Labor was cheap back then. It made sense. It, it just doesn't make sense now. And then there's the independent party, but how as a country can we even strive to be independent when we've been part of another nation since the inception of since we were before we were a civilized country we were US territory since 1898 I don't I don't see how and some people that are within those parties will probably disagree disagree with me but how can you as a developed nation now say cut all ties we don't have enough infrastructure to support ourselves by agriculture, tourism and all those means so we need we need to have, Uh, some sort of help and that comes from importing goods and things like that Um, there's also a lot of federal aids that come through so I don't see how you can successfully just cut ties and make yourself an independent country without completely taking your society into an abyss I I don't see how it can happen Uh, and like I said this is just how I see it if you talk to many people from Puerto Rico you're going to get different answers based on what they see But this is just how I see it. I think that uh, we need to figure out what's going to happen in the statehood or not. If it's not going to happen, we need to nix some of the laws that are set in place right now, like the the Jones Act, which means that any uh, ship importing goods has to come from the U.S., which comes with it, a tax and a price hike. So we need to next that kind of thing so we can bring it with commerce with other countries like the us does um there are a lot of things that need to be next but i don't know what else i'm not deep into that political part it's right just some of the examples
0: yeah it's that's amazing like sitting here learning about the, the whole system of puerto rico mm-hmm. uh because you know i I don't know much about it I
1: know I know and, and you know people ask me and I know enough yeah but you can Google <laughs> and you'll start kind of like what we do every day you can Google and start going into a rabbit hole of things and you'll right. find all kinds of things um, it's just an unfortunate situation because um, right now the people that are that what's paying for it it's the people right um you've got teachers in a public system that have gone a race in 15 years you got firefighters policemen have gone a race in 15 years. how is that fair? and yeah. yet yet you know the government and this is where I, I see it doesn't make sense yet they want to fix a area for a tourist a, tourist attraction and they all of a sudden millions appear and it's just like okay so what's happening here?
0: Yeah, you know, because millions weren't there yesterday.
1: Yeah, so I and that's where, where I like to think that our generation is going, like, is going like, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, something's not right here. Yeah. Uh, before it used to be like, well, that's that's the way it is, or somebody's stealing the money, nobody cares. But now it's like, wait, wait, hold on, like what what's happening? Yeah. So.
0: There, there seems to be, hopefully, it's some morality coming. <laughs> that's.
1: Yeah. Um. <laughs> I like to think, and I was listening to the, some of the previous podcasts, and we talked about generational and generational fluency. Uh, one of the biggest differences from a millennial, which I'm a millennial, and I'm born in 88. Uh, what is it? It began in 79? Is that, that's, is that the marking uh, of the... I
0: think that's like the very end of millennials, yeah. So
1: there's... I like to think there's various levels in millennials. There's, yeah, there definitely the, is. The ones that were born in the 80s are very different. The ones like me, I had to learn how to look for a book in a library. I had to learn how to write in ABA <laughs> format. I had to learn how to use loose-leaf paper, all that kind of thing. Um, and then there's the younger generation that's more... It's more leaning to what what the newer generation is, which I know X now or Z or whatever it is now.
0: Z? Z is a Gen Z is the generation after millennials, and then we have another generation already,
1: which is born after two thousand, which is insane. Yeah, because these are kids. Yeah. Um, but uh, the the millennials, my age at least we don't think take things just because that's the way they are. I don't care how the way they are. I, I, I'm going to need an explanation here. Why you're doing this? Why do I have to do this a certain way? Yeah. Um. And I think that's what resonates worse with older generation and particularly boomers. They say, Hey, just be glad you had a job. It's like, hell no. I don't care. I'll leave this job. And the boomer's like, Oh, you're going to lose everything. It's like, watch me it's like no yeah it's uh we don't take things because the way they are um and i like to think that this generation is it's doing that to the government it's doing that to everything And the last election definitely sent that message because it must be embarrassing that you're the i I don't know how embarrassing it can be but that you're the leader of the country and only a third of the population actually voted for you, so you know that nobody, you don't have the respect of anybody.
0: Yeah, you have the respect of just a very small group. Yeah, and there's three other parties that. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> so
1: there's, you got a lot more people that do not support you that than do support you, so, uh, to put myself in that person's shoes, I. Talk about a tough job right now. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> no matter <laughs> what you do, it's just going to be completely torn apart. Uh, but the the system that has been set in place and the parties that have been set in place for the last 20 years brought it up to themselves. So you're answering for the sins of somebody else, but somebody's got to answer. Right. Uh, so. Yeah, and they're going to hold you, the noose is on your head, they're going to hold you accountable for this thing, so.
0: That's crazy. Yeah. Uh the the millennials, uh I hopefully I I'm hoping for millennials and Gen Z down there in Puerto Rico to <laughs> make it better for everyone. Yeah. Um yeah, that would be That'd be great because, you know, before this conversation, I thought Puerto Rico was just a another place where things are going smoothly. It's a big tourist place. They're bringing in a lot of money from, you know, all these different tourists and whatever. But
1: it's helping. It's definitely helping. Yeah. Um, this was eye opening for me. It's definitely helping. But being from there, it's sad because somebody like, like, I, I again, I'm concerned about my parents. They're things are changing and you know one of the biggest news late, lately has been that uh there's incentives for americans to go buy property down there without paying pretty much any tax so you've got these rich folks that are going down there and just driving the price up and that's that's kind of what happens everywhere you go but you're think about the medium income or the median income for people Now you're asking these people that have to buy a home around them at 300, 400 grand,
0: they're making 20 grand a year. How can you possibly,
1: how can you possibly think they can afford it? And it's happening slowly, but surely in all the nicer areas in in the city, that's what's happening and happening over and over and over again. And the government doesn't help because somebody is corrupt and then they have some sort of agreement with somebody and they pass a law that, uh, incentivizes people to buy property. You know, if you're an American and you go there, buy a property to live there and you're trying to and you're supporting the local community. I can't blame you for going down there and doing what you want to do. But right. th- the other part of it is that people that are there are can no longer afford to live in their own island. And it's it's sad. It's really sad. I- I'm talking about somebody like myself who is making a six figure salary here, cannot afford a house in certain in, Many places now in the island.
0: Oh my God. Because
1: it's getting that insane. It's just, and its continues to happen. Um, and that's just one of the f- very few examples um, of things how it happened, ho- how things are just, how the government just mishandled things. Um, the other uh, example that I can have is uh, when the hurricane hit Puerto Rico in 2017. That hurricane has been far and away the worst ecological disaster has ever been. When people here complain that I I lost my power for an hour, my parents were without power for six months.
0: Six months. Yes.
1: The the hurricane leveled the island. Like literally all the towers, all the light, everything was on the ground. So it wasn't like the system's bad. It was bad. There was no maintenance. Nothing was happening but the hurricane just leveled it, it as a, it was a water tornado, the miles per hour was 185 on the ground Jeez. and the well, hurricane went through the island. It took 12 hours for it to exit the island. So it was just sitting there for 12 hours. So it oh, just leveled man. everything. So yeah, my parents were, lost their power in September. They got it back in March. Um, and to go back on the government subject, somebody higher up in the government had some sort of affiliation with some random company from Montana that nobody's heard about. And they granted a contract to hire some folks to help out with the restoration of power site. Like, so you mean to tell me that you you didn't reach out to the US Department of Energy. You didn't reach out to AP locally, Duke Energy, First Energy, all these big time utilities in the united states that have the personnel, the experience, and the equipment to help you out. No, you went to a random crappy ass company in the middle of Montana. So tell me that that's not there's not something fishy going around here. There's there's yeah. stuff there. That's that's, that's fishy. Stuff. And that's what happens all the time. They grant a contract because somebody is on the board of that company and they're making the money. Somebody's pocketing the money. And that's what happens all the time with the government.
0: Jeez. So
1: Eventually that, that got nixed out because everybody was like, wait, 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 hold on FEMA granted the granted you however many billion dollars for restoration and you're gonna grant it to this random crappy ass company No, I think FEMA said no, 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 you're going to go to the US Department of Energy and you're going to uh, Put a bit on there and then AP was there Duke was there First Energy was there all these large US companies were there and they granted help and then yeah everything was restored but it, it it was bad definitely one of the worst things i've ever lived so imagine being here and i didn't hear from my mom for two weeks because um, obviously the cell towers were down as well uh and just being here completely helpless and this is my job <laughs> this is what i do yeah and i'm like I'm, I'm waving my hands here like a crazy person. I can help. You know, <laughs> I know what to do. I can help. But uh, tough times. Um, we've definitely learned from it. Um, but, yeah.
0: Oh, man. It, it pains me to see that all of those people suffered because whatever person wanted to make a little extra money. Mm-hmm. And
1: Yeah. Um, the restoration efforts were slow. Um, I have pictures on my phones from friends who are physicians operating on people with cell phone flashlights, which it's crazy do you think. I mean, you have to do what you have to do in that situation. Right. Um, but it's just crazy. Over 5,000 people died after the hurricane ha- happened um, for X or Y reason. Um, so... It's so a small little island, middle of nowhere, so it's hard to get there. I, I get that. And, and the system was not designed to withstand anything like that. I mean, if, if a tornado of that event levels to Columbus, yeah, it's going to take a long time to restore. Um, but um, the houses are made out of cement. If you want to think about why people not worse happen, everything's made out of cement because it's a tropical island. There storms all the time, so everything's made yeah. out of concrete and cement. So I can withstand a lot of things,
0: but there's also
1: a lot of damage. So,
0: Jeez. Uh, I hope I hope things get better.
1: <laughs> yeah, but it's not. It's uh, not going I'm, to be I'm, tomorrow. I, I'm, a, I, I'm trying not to paint the worst picture in the world. If you guys want to go, it's a great place to go. Just ask me. Um, just stay away <laughs> from the touristy hotels because it can get really expensive. I'll tell you where to go, hang out. It's a great place to go. Have a vacation, have fun. So, by all means, go support people. Just don't buy from big chains. Support the local folks. That's the only thing I'll ask.
0: Yeah. So, so if you go, support local folks.
1: Yeah, the lo- the restaurant has something in Spanish. It's probably locally owned. Just go there, eat there. It's fine. Yeah. And now, if you're tired and you want to eat at McDonald's, it's it's fine. But um, just support the local folks. That's right. that's all I'll say.
0: Um. So. On the topic of going places and trying to make it a a lighter topic, um, sure. Traveling, have you what what type of traveling have you done besides uh, going to Cuba and Cuba and moving to America? Uh, well, the, the States, reason I, mean? I
1: haven't been here before was because I was in Puerto Rico working remotely um, for New Year's. I was in Florida with my fiance's parents. Uh, November my one of my closer friends he got married in Mexico. Uh, we went to Mexico City um, That was really fun. Mexico City is beautiful. Mexico City is big. Yeah, if you guys haven't been it's Enormous Like I think it's the biggest city in the Western Hemisphere larger than New York larger than Toronto What? I did not know that I, I read that somewhere. Uh, it's got the cuisine the the weather mexico city is amazing if i can recommend a place to go for anybody young or whatever if you want to eat eat well eat well and i thought that's for you (laughs) uh eat well and have fun mexico city i recommend that um i also went last year to colombia Another wedding, um, a friend of mine from college, he got engaged to this uh, doctor who's from Columbia, and that was a very neat wedding, very traditional. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever been in a more formal wedding, like literally black tie, the service, all the service came in and put the plates down to the exact same time, like like that kind wow. of level of black tie. I've never been to something like that. That was really cool. Uh, but... Uh, And the last few years I've traveled um, in the world i have been South America. I've been Argentina, Colombia, uh, Venezuela. Uh, I've been to Uruguay, Mexico, Guatemala. A lot of those were competing, so I didn't really get a chance to see a whole lot of that. Uh, I've been to, did that uh, uh, Euro trip that everybody does. Uh, I did that for three weeks on 2015. Went to France, Spain, uh, Italy, Greece, uh, Amsterdam. So been been around quite a few places. Now my my next targets are going to be Asia. At some point I want to get to China, Japan, um, and probably get down into the Philippines, Malaysia, and all those areas. Uh, so trying to get there. So but been around quite a bit.
0: What uh? Is there any experiences that kind of stick out of your, in your mind, um, like fun stories besides that uh, crazy wedding?
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, when I went to Argentina, this is funny. <laughs> this is embarrassing, but it's funny. Uh, I went to Argentina. I was eighteen or nineteen. I went with my parents, and I was in Buenos Aires, which is the capital. And Buenos Aires is a big metropolis. It's enormous. And I was just walking down one street. You know, I was trying to get... I think I was just going to a grocery store trying to get some water. Um, and this guy starts talking to me. He starts talking super fast. He's like, I'll follow me. You want to see this? I want to see this. I'm like, okay, sure. What, what do you want me to see? I was very naive of me. And also I walk in. And they set me down. They put a drink in my hand. And then all of a sudden, two naked ladies sit right next to me. I have no money. <laughs> And I just realized that apparently I agreed to some sort of dance or strip club or whatever. Immediately stand up and say, hey, wait, wait, hold on. In Spanish, hey, wait, hold on. I I don't know. I got coerced into being here. I don't have any money. And this guy was about ready to beat me up with a bunch of bouncers. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm in for it. How the hell am I, and mind you i'm staying with my parents they're in the hotel right next door <laughs> so how the hell am i gonna explain to my parents that i got beat up here uh so fortunately these two ladies they they started pleading with the guy hey he's just a kid i you know they looked at my id It's like i'm just a kid i was 18. Can you please let him go he didn't mean it he didn't drink anything it's fine and they let me go so i was one of the more embarrassing stories in my life. <laughs> uh, don't be naive if somebody tells you, "Follow me, look at this." Don't, don't do it. Don't, just, <laughs> just don't. Um, that was a fun one. Um, in Europe, uh, I went through a, to Greece, and it was kind of a difficult time for them. They were going to bankruptcy. The city, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know if you've ever been asked in a hotel room to pay for your hotel stay in cash and they were begging me to pay in cash because they apparently they couldn't get cash so that was kind of sad um greece was not like i expected it it was going to be not a whole lot to see um so that's something i learned over there um in europe they do dislike ice particularly in italy if you like ice water they will not give you ice water if you ask for ice water they'll give you one cube of ice and it was middle of july so it's scorching hot and i wanted some ice water and i almost got into an argument with the waiter because of some damn ice water <laughs> so, uh in france i also we went we were going from france to amsterdam uh via train and this is an international train station we're late cause obviously we overslept And I go to some security guards, some information table, and I ask them in English, hey, um, I need to get to platform X, whatever the platform was. And he says, he he says like he doesn't understand me. He nods like he doesn't understand what I'm saying. So I said in Spanish, hey, do you speak Spanish? No. He says only French. And he just keeps walking. I'm like, so you mean to tell me you work in information in an international station (laughs) and you're not... You can't speak what single other language in French, and, and yeah, I got really, really irritated with that, but that's just part of learning and being in other countries. Um, yeah, other countries are fun. It's just, you gotta learn. My recommendation is always stay within the, the middle of the city and try to walk places. That's when you learn the most, you see the most uh, of the local folks. So.
0: When, when I travel, I'm always stuck on the like I want to stay in the middle of the city because it's super easy to get around Mm -hmm. but I also want to stay like on the outskirts because I want to get out of the tourist traps yes right it's Um, always it's being stuck in a rock in a hard place always
1: yeah so you've got to um you've got to kind of do a little research um if it feels like a tourist trap most likely it is if it feels like everything's in English and they're trying to bait you into going, and most likely it is. Um, I always say talk to the local folks and say, hey, I'm trying to get an experience of what, what it is to be from here. Um, and sometimes it's a hit or miss, but most often you'll hit when somebody take you into something. Um, in Colombia, I got a chance to go into a tour in Medellin with a police officer that was alive and hunting Escobar in the 90s. Wow. So, and the hate that this guy had for Escobar was, I mean, it was hatred. Like he was, we went to his grave and he was stomping all over his grave. Cause this man killed a bunch of his friends. Um, but I mean, talk about a fun tour. See how this guy was just speaking with such a passion about how this uh, drug lord had the country by, by the knees and how the hate that they had, the locals hate it, they had friends. So if you go to Colombia, do not mention Escobar. It's, <laughs> it's, a par- it's like the Germans. It's a part of their history that they want to erase and they are ashamed that that's what they're known for. Yeah. So, um, that, was, that was fun. That was uh, definitely an eye-opening experience because you read these stories you watch narcos on netflix and you see all these things but imagine living in it living in that constant fear he says every time there's one of those motorbikes that walks uh, there's a lot of uh, motorcycles and every time one of those goes by he jolts because that's how they kill people those motorbikes they just just spray bullets when they're going by you so it's just very insane to think about like I like to think that, you know, we still live in a very safe place in general. Imagine living in the city that you live in, regardless of where you are, you're not safe. That's crazy,
0: so. That is crazy. Um, Wow. How do you get to go on a a tour around Colombia with a police officer? So I
1: looked it up and I did a lot of research and since I speak Spanish, that obviously helped me. Yeah. But then I called the local company because I had a little advertisement. If you pay like uh, an extra $50, then you'll get a tour with an actual police officer. And I called the company and they're like, yeah, that's true. And yeah, he showed up. So um, so they'll offer tours of Escobar tours or whatever just take you to the 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 prison that he built take you to his grave take you to the place where he got shot the place where they shot him down the places the buildings that he blew up all that stuff Uh, but it's a very different side of the story when you're talking to a person that was actually hunting him Um, so yeah it's definitely different
0: that is crazy Uh so I wanna ask uh non travel related, well kinda travel related, what was your experience learning being uh primary Spanish speaking and then learning English? Was that through your schooling? Yeah. Yeah, okay.
1: Um Oh my schooling, um but my dad he went to NYU, so he was comfortable watching movies and watching things in English. And it all started from what I remember, watching baseball games and watching wrestling back then. You remember the, the good old days with Stone Cold and all oh, yeah. those guys? Um, and he always had it in English. And then I got an affinity of watching TV shows in English, all the movies in English. Because it would translate just about everything. Um, but I remember watching Shrek. When I was a young kid, I was, I mean, that was, and I saw it in Spanish and then I saw it in English and I thought, oh my God, the English version, it's so much true. Cause that's the character's mouths are moving towards the, yeah. the words and the jokes are better than punchlines were better. So I'm like, okay, from now on I'm watching everything in English. And then, like I said, you know, I w- was privileged enough to go to a, a private school and the, the courses, everything was in English and kind of grew up into that. Uh, but I also, I made it a natural ability to not only speak English, but speak it fluently enough where I I hated knowing that people knew I had an accent. And so I, I practiced. But it started when I was a young kid. Since I was a child, I've been learning English. It wasn't in school. By the time I learned it in school, I already knew it. It wasn't. And English is taught from primary school, first grade, all the way through senior year. So English is a course. It's just just like history, mathematics, science. English is a course. Most people don't take it seriously because you'll go down there and the accents are going to be really thick or not at all. But um, you should be able to go out down there and you should be able to communicate with just about everybody. Um, I just practice a lot to not have an accent. So both me and my sister have... Very little accent. My dad's accent is very marked, um, but um, I just practice because I, l- I, l- I watch movies and now, if you watch movies, they're speaking naturally. So you want your uh, pronunciations and enunciations to mimic that. Eventually, sometimes I get my tongue twisted and I'll say something and the the emphasis is not on the right syllable. But <laughs> most of the time, I think I'm pretty good. Yeah. So, uh
0: I've met so many people that are bilingual from different countries. And I mean, I think the education that, you know, everyone gets is just fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, I took three years of Spanish in school.
1: You got to practice. There's no way. I took three years of French too. So I know a little bit of French. I know a little bit of Portuguese.
0: Yeah. I used to be able to read I used to be able to read fluent Spanish speaking it not very good and
1: <laughs> honestly that's all that you want you don't obviously the ultimate goal is to speak it yeah but what you really want is to be able to be in a conversation where they're talking naturally and you can pick up what they're saying mm-hmm. and you respond back in English um, we've had friends that have been around us a long time like me and Jomar for example i remember this guy josh he used to live with us he would literally sit and intensely pay attention to what we were saying and by the end before he moved out of columbus we were talking in spanish and he was talking in english back to us he was responding to what we were saying like it was just natural people ask me do you like translate in your head it's like no i think in english there may be a certain word sometimes that i can't find and i'll start thinking in spanish but no, I I, I can I think in English straight up. Uh, I do say when I go back home, my mom is like, you need to cut that out. <laughs> I mean, I've been here 10 years. So I, yeah. it's it's just it naturally kind of uh, pops in. But um, yeah, you, you got to practice. It's, there's no way around it. You got to practice a lot.
0: <laughs> it sounds like I should pick back up on practicing uh, languages that are not English.
1: Well think about it every uh country besides brazil south of the u.s mexico border speaks spanish so talk think about all the countries you could go
0: yeah uh i'd be lost yeah i could only speak english
1: yeah uh so um tell you what if you can understand what uh puerto ricans and uh, dominicans and cubans which are the uh the islands that are the, the three islands in the Caribbean Sea, the way they speak Spanish. Uh, there's a joke. I, 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 saw it in comedy central, but this guy who's Mexican, he says, you guys speak like there's a time limit <laughs> <laughs> and he is darn darn honest. Cause that's about as accurate as it gets. Uh, we speak, uh, like if you heard some of my friends and I speak Spanish, it's, very fast there's a lot of slang and it's very fast so it's harder even for people who speak Spanish it's hard to pick up Uh, in the office there was a guy who's from the Dominican Republic and the other one was from Mexico and I was talking to the guy from the Dominican Republic in Spanish and the guy from Mexico he's like are you guys speaking Spanish and I'm like yeah Like, oh my (laughs) god it's so fast so even him that he's fluent in Spanish couldn't pick it up so it's just the variations are very different the sounds are very different from spain to mexico to puerto rico to cuba to Domin- uh, dominican republic it's very different just like scottish is different from english english is different from english like english from like english. uk yeah UK. australian is different from english icelandic people you can pick up that they're not from there i think scottish people are hard to understand
0: oh yeah Scottish and Irish, yeah. the the accents, like the thick ones. It, yeah. Oh, it's so hard to understand sometimes.
1: Yeah, so that's kind of what it is. But there's a lot more, much more Spanish-speaking countries that are English. So there's a lot of variations. Yeah. The only one that's different is Brazil, because Brazil was owned by, well, not owned. That's a bad way to put it. Brazil was under Portuguese regimen for a long time. So they speak a lot of Creole which is, like, indigenous language, a lot of Portuguese. And Brazil is so big that depending where you are, the dialects of Portuguese are different. Um, I can understand. I can have a conversation in Portuguese. Really? We speak very slowly because it's very close to Spanish. Okay. But if you're from a region that is not very close, then I can't understand you. But um, one of the guys uh, that I competed against, he was from Brazil, and we could speak in in. Like, he will say something. And it's like, if I put a sentence and I take out four words, you can still get the meaning of the sentence. So that's right. that's what it was. Um, so I can definitely understand some Portuguese. I, I can read some of it. The symbols make it a little bit difficult. Um, but I should be okay if I go to Portugal or Brazil. Uh, but the rest of the countries south of the border are Spanish-speaking, as far as I know. Uh, there might be some I east think- of Venezuela that are, like, French but I'm not sure
0: yeah I think I think the official language of all of them or 95 percent of them minus Brazil is Spanish yeah yeah so. if I want to go there I definitely need to uh start studying now
1: <laughs> uh just enough so that they don't they you know take advantage of you that's the only thing I'll I'll say so yeah um so
0: definitely um, is there anything else that you wanted to, uh, talk about here on the, the podcast? No, anything you wanted no, to mention?
1: no, this has been a lot of fun. Um, I appreciate you taking some time out and inviting me here. I'm, uh, really grateful. This was really, really fun. Absolutely. And conversing with people is something I enjoy. So, uh, it was really fun. So yeah.
0: Awesome. That's why I do this. Yeah. I love it. Uh, I'm glad you had a, a great time. Um, there is one question that I ask everyone at the end, um, and that's what What's that one piece of advice that you want to live on? Um, that you know that you said you said that you want people to take from this?
1: Um, because of some changes in my workplace, um, a lot of people tend to <clears throat> worry too much about what others think. Um, it's kind of cheesy, but I, I like it because don't take criticism from somebody you want to take advice from. If you truly live by that, if you don't particularly listen to what others have to say about you, you'll be more fair to yourself. Um, if you, if you start worrying about what other people think, you won't, you won't do a whole lot of things. Um. Just worry about yourself and what you think of yourself and that's it.
0: So awesome. All right. Yeah. Awesome. Uh thank you so much for coming out. Uh this was awesome again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah. Until next time. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fatal to Prejudice. If you or anyone you know would like to be a guest, please visit my website at CameronChats.com and fill out the contact me form. Please fill out the subject line as podcast interview and write me a small blurb on why you or someone you know should be a guest. I'll leave a link in the description for ease of access. You can support this podcast by listening to it on your favorite podcasting site. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Another way to support is by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash fatal to prejudice patreon is the only monetary support system if you would like to sign up and support through there i am forever grateful for you again thank you for tuning in